This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. What an absolutely fantastic time that we have had this morning in worship. Amen? Amen. It's just absolutely... Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. I mean... You know... I think that where Jesus said to the woman at the well that there was coming a time and even now is when the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, that what he was really talking about, the essence of what he was talking about is those who will live a life of worship, a life that is committed to giving him everything, not just a song that we sing, not just something that we do on Sunday morning at church, because we were created for worship. We were created to worship him. And everything that we have really ultimately belongs to him. Amen? And so if everything we have belongs to Him, then we're just channeling what He has given us right back to Him. The breath, the heart, the emotion, everything. We're just giving it right back and saying, Lord, we're going to use what You have given us to bring You glory and to worship You and to honor You. And that's what we're doing when we sing. That's what we're doing with our lifestyle. Our lifestyle should be one of worship. Not just something that we sing, but we realize, God, everything that You have given us belongs to You. And so with everything... We're going to live a life that's going to be loud for you. We're going to live a life that's going to shine your name, that's going to bring glory to you. And Jesus said that there's coming a time, and even now is, when the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And if we're talking about that as a lifestyle, then I believe that what Jesus was meaning is that he's looking for people who not only just know how to do it, what to do, when to say this, what to say at this time, or this cue, but that they do it sincerely and not just because they know know how you see we can know how to do a lot of things that are really good that seem very christian but if they're not done with the attitude of love or a heart of sincerity then we're just making a bunch of noise matter of fact that's what the apostle paul said to the church in corinth in first corinthians 13 he said listen you can operate in all these spiritual gifts and be super spiritual but if you have love you got nothing He said, you can do all of these things in the name of God, and you can do all these things that look and sound spiritual because you know how to do it. But if you don't have love as the foundation, he said, you're literally being like a clashing symbol. You're just making a bunch of racket. You see, everything we do needs to be done in love. Everything that God is leading us into as a church, everything he's leading us to as individuals in our relationship with God needs to be founded and grounded in love. And we talked about that last week as we kicked off our new series in the book of Philippians. And we're going to continue this morning in that series by talking about the purpose of the church. Now, if you missed last week, just to give you a quick catch-up, Cliff Notes version, I guess you would. Um, The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians. He wrote it to the church in Philippi. And uh, this was a church that Paul started. Paul loved these people in Philippi. He wrote this letter to them while he was in a Roman prison. Now, as Paul was writing this letter, you could tell that he knew these people really well because he didn't open up the letter the way that he opened up all of his other epistles to different churches because he would always introduce himself or he would always give some sort of claim to his apostolic authority to let people know he was legit, let people know that he was on the up and up. And he would tell them, listen, Jesus came and he talked to me, he met with me, he knocked me off my horse when I was on the road to Damascus. Or he would tell them something about himself to give weight to his authority. He doesn't do this at any point 
when he writes this letter to the church of Philippi because they've already accepted him. They already know him. They already understand who he is. They trust him. They have deep relationship with him. And he cares about these people greatly. This is the first church that Paul planted. And now he's in prison. He wants to go see these people. He's hearing about their need. He wants to go minister to, to them. He wants to go love on them. He can't because he's in prison. So he writes this letter to them. So let's pick up where we left off last week. Philippians chapter 2. Let's read verse 1 where Paul says, Therefore, if there is any con- Consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So here we see that the Apostle Paul is really concerned about the church keeping unity. Paul says, listen, you guys have a good thing going and I want you to keep on moving forward in unity because he knows that when people get together, that even though we may be in unity for a season, that the enemy would love to come and drive in division, would love to come and bring all of these different things to sow among the brethren to cause discord and it would cause harm in the body of Christ. And we've all seen that. We've seen how the the enemy would want to sneak into relationships, how the enemy would want to sneak into the church, how the enemy would want to sneak in to things in our lives that are supposed to be good, that are supposed to be beneficial and God-honoring, but the enemy wants to twist and turn them and get people on their high horse thinking of themselves higher than they should. And then, next thing you know, we got a little bit of friction going on. we got headbutting going on. We have people being offended. We have people being hurt. We have people carrying around unforgiveness and bitterness and wherever they go they carry it into their next marriage they carry it to their next church they carry it to their next job whatever the case is because they haven't learned to walk in love because they're walking in bitterness hurt anger and they carry this junk around with them and Paul saying I know that there's potential for that so I want to encourage you to, that you would be aware that the enemy wants to come and break up what you're doing good but I want you to strive together to keep this unity that you've got going because it's very important because the, the, the enemy knows that we're going to be more effective together than we would be by ourselves, right? And so here's the Apostle Paul saying, Church at Philippi, you guys are in unity, and you need to strive to be like-minded. You need to strive to continue in that. He said that he wants them to be comforted in love, in fellowship of the Spirit, and affection and mercy. He said, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and one mind. In other words, we see here that the Apostle Paul is letting us know that the church is called to be like-minded. He's calling us. That's what God wants, I believe, for us to understand today is that he's calling the church, his church, even this local congregation to be like-minded. So in other words, we all have to think the same way. Easy, right? I mean, after all, okay, we should all be like-minded. We should all think the same way. So after church today, you're all going to eat at Chili's, right? I thought we were all one mind. thought you were supposed to finish each other's sentences. (laughs) Finish each other's sentences. I mean, we're supposed to be like-minded, right? Well, what does that mean? Because we all have different ways of thinking. We all have different perspectives. We all have different perceptions of the way things are because our perception has been shaped by what we've experienced in life, by what others have told us, by the good and the bad things that have happened to us in life. And and so we all have different lenses. So, man, being like-minded almost sounds like an impossible goal. doesn't even sound like something that we can do. So what is Paul saying? So no one in the room is going to think the exact same thoughts or share a brain. Although, when I was a youth pastor, I was convinced I had some teenagers in my youth ministry that did share a brain cell. And they shared that. 
And occasionally one of the kids would have it, and then I could say, well, whose day is it to have the brain cell today? You know, they were pretty goofy, but, uh, you know, <laughs> we're not going to share a brain. We're not all going to have the same thoughts. We're not all going to think the same thing. So what does Paul mean when he's encouraging us to be like-minded? Okay, so here's the thing. Paul is saying this. He's speaking in a sense of the values that the church has collectively. Paul said that our like-mindedness should be driven by having the same love. So love is the foundation that is going to lead our hearts to be shaped in a way that would be God-honoring to where our values and the things that we hold dear are shared. We are unified in the things that we value as a church. We are unified in the things that we value as believers because we can see in Scripture the heart of God. We can see through relationship with God and actually getting to know who He is. We know His heart and we know what's important to Him. We know what He values. And because we know what God values, then He is wanting us to desire those same things. And He creates that desire in us through us just being recipients of His love. His love breaks down the hard areas of my life. His love breaks down the areas of my life that maybe I haven't quite given over to Him. I think it's interesting. We sang a song today called With Everything. And we say, with everything, we'll shout for your glory. With everything, with everything. And as we're saying those words, I thought, you know, I think that that's a challenge to where the Holy Spirit really just checked my heart in us singing those lyrics because how many of us can really say we've given everything to God? I don't think any one of us can say that every single area of our life is surrendered to God in the most perfect way. I think every one of us have areas of our life. So are we lying when we're singing the song? When we're saying with everything, no, I think that it's really rather a challenge that we're saying, God, help me to grow to where with everything in my life, it shouts forth your praise. That everything in my life is surrendered to you. That I realize that, God, you're smarter than me. You want better for me than I want for myself. And because I believe that about you and I know that about you and I trust that about you, then I'm trusting in when you say something that challenges me that I need to submit my way of thinking to your way of thinking because you know best. You see, and when I go, God knows better than me, then I can say, okay, Lord, help me with everything to live my life as a sacrifice to you. When you show me areas in my life through your word or through my relationship with you where I haven't surrendered and I haven't given this to you and I'm still trying to maintain control or I'm still trying to feed my selfish nature in this area, God, and you challenge me and you're saying, I want everything. God, help me to with everything give you the worship that you're worthy of, the praise and adoration that you're worthy of. Help my life be a testimony of your love operating in my life. And when my love for God outweighs my selfish ambition, it's going to change what I do. When my love for God outweighs my selfish ambition, it will change the way I think. And when the church is motivated and grounded and rooted in love, then it's going to unify our values. It's going to unify the things we're going after. It's going to unify our purpose because it no longer becomes about one person's individual agenda, but rather it becomes about an agenda that's driven by love. And that's the agenda of God. That he wants to reconcile the world into himself. That he wants us to be carriers of the gospel. That we'll go out into a world that's filled with darkness. A world that is hopeless. And to bring them the gospel. To bring them Jesus. To bring them hope. And when we begin to value the things that God values. And we begin to do the things that God wants us to do based on those values. Then we will be operating in the type of unity that Paul is encouraging the Philippians to pursue. Because it's motivated by love. Because love is the foundation. And the love of God shapes our values. 
The love of God should shape the way we think. And if we submit our values to go under the microscope of love, then it's going to expose the things in our lives that need to change. If we'll allow our lives to be under that microscope of love, it'll show and expose the things in our hearts that need to grow and that need to change. You see, but the problem, I think, oftentimes is that people have misconceptions about love. Because when we hear the word love, we think about squishy, ooey-gooey. Oh, we think about, you know, uh, mystery chocolates in heart-shaped containers. (laughs) And we think about romantic dates and strolls on the beach. And we think about warm fuzzies. And that's what a lot of people think about when they think about love. Yes, there is a side of love that definitely we understand there's a comfort that comes from love. There's a sense of belonging that comes from love. There's a warmth of the love of God that, that we feel and because we, we feel like we belong and we're a part. But there's also another part of love that we don't like to talk about. And that's the part that would challenge us to grow, that will cause us to repent, that will cause us to be challenged and chastised and changed. I don't like that. Let's talk about warm fuzzies. And did he say chocolate? I thought I heard pastor say chocolate. We don't like to talk about that part. You see, I think that the misconceptions about love is that everyone thinks that love just means we're passive, that we allow whatever to happen, whatever is going to happen, happen. We never want to deal with anything in our own lives or, God forbid, anyone else's life. And so we just stay away from anything that makes us uncomfortable because love's always supposed to be comfortable. Let me tell you something. Love is not always comfortable. That is a misconception about love. Because if we buy into this idea that love is passive, that love just tolerates injustice, that's not love. Actually, I don't believe that the opposite of love is hate. I don't believe the opposite of love is hate. I believe that there's something much deeper, darker, and stronger that's the opposite of love. And I think that that's indifference. I think that indifference is a lot stronger and a lot darker than hate. Because indifference just doesn't care. At least hate has the decency to express some type of feeling towards the situation. Indifference doesn't care. Indifference has no feeling or emotion or any, anything towards the person or the situation at all. It's just whatever. Who cares? You don't matter. Indifference is just evil and deep and dark because it just puts us in a position where we don't care. And so, you know, as, as we're looking at the, the value and the love of God, I think that To allow love to shape our values, we need to have a true picture of what love really is. And I think that love in absolute perfection was Jesus Christ. Because was Jesus Christ both God and man? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Was Jesus Christ perfect in every way? Yes or no? Is God love? Yes or no? So that means that everything that Jesus did was perfect and was done in love. Would that be a correct statement? Everything Jesus did in love? Everything? You sure about that? Okay. If everything Jesus did was in love and was motivated by love because God is love, it's not what He does, it's who He is, it's His nature, we all agree on that, we all see that in Scripture, because if He were to do something outside of love, it would be violating who He is, thus not making Him God. Correct? What about when Jesus looked at the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and said, you sons of snakes, you brood of vipers, you're nothing but a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You're, pre- you're, you're clean and pretty and white on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. Was that love? Yes, yes. It had to be, didn't it? Yes. 
wouldn't it have had to have been love? That's a hard pill to swallow because I don't like that. <laughs> we like that in church because we don't think we're Pharisees. And we're like, yeah, those Pharisees, those guys were jerks, man. When you read about them in the Bible and you see how Jesus talked to them, man, those Pharisees need to get their act together. Well, what about when Jesus talks to us that way? What if we're the Pharisee? Instead of us looking at how bad the Pharisee are, what if we become the person who's puffed up and prideful in our own religiosity? And that's not really a word, but I just made it up. <laughs> what if we think that we've got all of these things together, all of our I's dotted and T's crossed, and we don't need this, or we don't need that? And all of a sudden we get to a place in our life where we're really prideful. And then all of a sudden we hear something that challenges us. We can either accept it or reject it based on the teachability of our heart. And I think that oftentimes when we hear love, we always think about the warm fuzzies. But what about the more challenging parts of love? You know, we're not only called to be recipients of that kind of love, but we're called to give that kind of love as well. You know that if someone is talking to you, having a conversation with a friend, and all of a sudden that conversation begins to steer towards sin... That conversation begins to steer towards gossip or bashing or backbiting or bringing up the past that should have already been dealt with and forgiven. And you begin to talk about those things and get riled up about those things. And you begin gossiping. You know that you're sinning. And so what would be the better thing that would navigate that conversation in love would be when you see the conversation going in that direction for you to stop and go, hey, you know what? I feel like we're getting over into gossip and that's not God honoring. We just need to repent and, and we need to move on. Let's clean up our conversation. Lord, help our conversation be God honoring. Well, I wouldn't have very many friends if I talked to them like that. <laughs> well, because having friends is the goal. I for, where's that scripture at? <laughs> people liking you is the goal. Well, what, if I do things like that, people won't like me. Yeah, people may not like you Oftentimes, if you speak the truth, if you do it in love, don't do it in a haughty way where you're being judgmental or you're talking down to someone because, I mean, if you're participating in this or, or, or whatever the case may be, if you just stop it right there in its tracks and go, hey, we, we don't need to do that. I don't think that that's going to be God-honoring conversation for us. Let's, let's not talk that way. Whoa. <laughs> All of a sudden, you've stopped something and put a stop to something that could be detrimental or something that could be wrong or, 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 or something that could be sinful that would lead us down a path that would not be God-honoring. Yeah, you may have put a little bit of tension in the room for a minute, but it was done in love. Amen? Amen. It was done in love because, guess what? You care more about your, your, your life being a reflection of the glory of God and being a testimony of the gospel of grace in operation and the love of God being an operation in your heart and in the other person's heart than whether or not the person thinks you're cool or not. I'm just saying, amen, pastor. All right. <laughs> you see, and when we're willing to deal with things in love, even the uncomfortable things, and we have those conversations, we're still being loving. Actually, when we're being passive and we're, 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 we're getting to a place where we're just indifferent about it and we just let it go and let things slide, actually, we're not being very loving at all. Because, yes, love is encouraging. Love is the hugs and high fives and you're awesome and I think you're great. And love is also, hey, we need to talk because there's something going on. Right? Love is also the thing that would say, hey, I see you going down this path and, and, and I'm concerned about you. Love also says, you know what, I'm, I'm really concerned because I think this is becoming a stronghold in your life and I want to help you walk through this and, and, and be able to break through this and, and find freedom in this. That's love. 
And yesterday we had an amazing, um, had an amazing, amazing Forge Men's Ministry. If, uh, if you haven't been coming to that, man, you're, you're missing out. I think it's absolutely fantastic. The next one we're going to have is April 11th, so mark your calendar right now. All right, so <laughs> April 11th we're going to have our next Forge, but this last one we had, when we got into our small groups, man, our, our, our group was just, just unpacking some things in their heart and just saying, you know, uh, I'm, I'm dealing with this, I'm going through this, and people were just really building trust and, in our group and sharing their heart and sharing what's going on in their lives. Because I think that at our core, we all want to grow. I think we all know that we're wounded. I think we all know that we have things in our lives that we haven't surrendered to the Lord. And so oftentimes, I think that we want to present how well put together we are and convince everyone that we've got everything together, and we work so hard on that that we never expose ourselves to be able to actually receive the help and the, 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 the growth that we need to receive. And that's just pride that would limit us, that would hinder us. You know, the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. Well, you want to know what happens when, another, when one piece of iron hits another? Something flies. What is it? Sparks. <laughs> Sparks fly when iron sharpens iron. And it doesn't sound like a pleasant sound. It's not, oh, I, I really want to listen to iron sharpening iron because it's such a pleasant sound. Can we play that for the baby to go to sleep in the other room? Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Can we have some iron sharpening iron music going on for praise and worship from now on? Because it's so pleasant through the years. You see, it's not always easy. It's not always pleasant. Yes, sparks may fly. Yeah, we may have to have a, 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 a little bit of sharpening, and it may be rough at times, but it's for our benefit if it's done in love. Amen? Amen? And if we're to preserve unity and grow in unity, as the Apostle Paul was encouraging the church in Philippi to do, then we need to understand that we need to be people that are motivated by love. We're not being unloving or unchristian when we speak the truth in love. And when we think that way, it's just simply untrue because love speaks up. Love should speak up. Love does forgive faults, and love does help others to remove shame from their past, but love also speaks the truth. And it's not your job as a Christian. It's not your job as a Christian to fix other people. Let me say that again, because some people are going, what? It's not your job as a Christian to fix other people, but it is your job to stand up for what is right and speak the truth with the motive of love. It is your job to do that. We should not allow the injustice of sin to infiltrate our home, to infiltrate our lives. We need to be protective of those things in our lives. There are certain things that I'm not going to let my kids watch on television because I don't like what it stirs up in them. You may let your kids watch it, and that's your business. But guess what? My kids in my house, those are my kids. That's my business. <laughs> Amen? Amen? And I'm going to protect them from things that I think would be harmful, and I'm going to set healthy boundaries because I'm going to speak up instead of just being passive and not letting it go on. So if I'm at your house and, 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 and my kids are watching TV at your house and something comes on I don't want them to watch, I'm not going to be passive. I'm going to say something to them and say, hey, we don't let our kids watch that. Not to make you feel bad, not to make you think I'm better than you, because guess what? I'm not. i got my own issues. Ask my wife. <laughs> I'm not better than you. It's just that's a boundary I've set in, in, in my kid's life, and, and we're not going to go down that road. You understand what I'm saying? Because love speaks up. Because I love my children more than I love whether or not you're going to accept me for me speaking up. 
Somebody just got that. Mm. In verse 2, he said, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. So the church is called to be of one accord and of one mind. Any Honda Accord owners in, 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 in the church today? We got any? Anybody? No Honda? A oh, one in the back? Okay, we can only have one. Because Paul said we can only have one accord. All right, so that joke didn't work in the first service either. I thought I'd try it again. I never write my jokes down in my sermons. They just come. It just comes out of me. But this one I wrote down because when I was studying, I thought it was funny. And I thought you guys would think it was funny, but apparently it wasn't as funny as I thought. It didn't go well in the first service either, so oh well. Oh, I just need to let the Spirit lead the humor and not let, uh, not, not let me try to inject myself. See, that's what happens when the pastor gets in the way. Just let God do what he does. All right. <coughs> so, <laughs> apparently we need to be in one accord to be biblical, and that wasn't very funny. So... Um, <laughs> But it was funny that my joke that I planned to be funny wasn't funny. So there you go. So I still win at the end of the day. So, man, we need to get back to the Bible, don't we? All right. Paul wants us to strive to keep unity because he knows that the only way that we're going to glorify God is through unity. So let's read on. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem others better than himself. That's huge right there. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, and he took the form of a bondservant, came in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of, of those on the earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here we see one of the attributes of a unified church is humility. Humility will keep a church unified. If we humble our hearts before God and allow His truth and His love to illuminate the areas of our lives that aren't submitted to Him, then we open ourselves up to growing and changing more and more into who He's created us to be. It's us saying, God, I want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who even though He was God on the earth, He didn't come and try to be famous. He didn't come to try to make a name for himself in the earth or make some big reputation of how great he was. No, he came to serve and he humbled himself. Jesus said himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the attitude and the heart position of Jesus is humility. And Paul was contrasting how you and I are supposed to operate as the body of Christ, as believers within the context of the church, in unity. He said, don't think of yourself higher than you should. He said, you need to have a lowliness of mind and let this mind that was in Christ be in you. He said, this is how Christ thought. This is how he approached everything. And that was with an attitude of humility. Actually, Paul said, we need to be serving one another. Actually, we need to be preferring one another. Because if love is our motive, then we're going to keep unity. He said, listen, humility is where it's at. It's in not thinking higher of myself than I should. That's where we get into trouble. Because when we think higher of ourselves than we should, it only leads to someone being right and someone else being wrong. And then we compare ourselves to other people by judging or discriminating or not associating with, you know, those people. Um, 
We segregate ourselves because we think of ourselves higher than we should. But when we look at how Jesus humbled himself, it shows a true picture of how we're supposed to follow. Not thinking of myself higher than I should. I only hang out with people who live in this neighborhood. I only associate with people who drive these types of cars or who put their children in these activities and who talk this way and who act this way and who live in this uh, type of home and have these type of access to these types of things. And, and, and when we begin to segregate ourselves, it distorts for the world. It distorts for the world the beauty of the gospel. Because they're looking at it through this lens where they go, okay, these people are supposed to be representatives of this thing called the gospel, the good news. And then they see how we're all separated and segregated and how we're acting just like everyone else. And there's no unity there. And they go, why would I want to be a part of that? You see, when we understand we're carriers of the gospel, we're carriers of the light, when we operate in unity, it makes the gospel more attractive to the world because they see something that they aren't used to seeing in their everyday life. Those who don't have Christ in their lives, those who are without hope, they're used to calamity. They're used to people doing them wrong. They're used to people taking advantage of them. They're used to people gossiping about them and lying about them. They're used to people stirring up all kinds of problems and issues. But what they're not used to is when there's an issue, someone going and repenting to someone else and reconciling. They go, why would you forgive someone for doing that? That was pretty rotten. I think they're going to get what's coming to them. But no, because we're the church, because we're the body of Christ, because we're humble in our approach to things, we say, no, actually, you know what? I want to make this right. Let's work through this. Let's figure out how we can walk together and work together. Let's make this right. And then it blows people who don't know Christ. It blows their minds. Because they think, man, I don't understand why you would forgive someone for that. I don't understand. Well, let me tell you why. And then you begin to share with them the gospel. Because you understand how you've been forgiven much. Because you're not thinking of yourself higher than you should. You're actually going, you know what? I've been forgiven much, so I'm going to extend that love and that forgiveness and that mercy as well. And when I'm humble, it keeps unity. And even though we go through the same things in this life that people who don't know Christ go through, the way that we handle the problem, the way that we handle the issue, the way we bring about reconciliation and we strive to keep unity is very much different. Because Christ is at the center of it, and he's the reason. He's the one who motivates us to do all those things because we've been recipients of his love, and it's changed the way we react to situations because now we want to react out of a heart that has been grateful and thankful for what he's done in my life. It changes how I treat people. It changes what I expect. It changes what I think is owed to me. It completely breaks this entitlement mentality that the world has because I go... I don't want to owe any man anything except love because love's the guiding force, love's the foundation in my life. I listened to a podcast by Dave Ramsey. Uh, Dave Ramsey's the guy who has the radio show that does the financial piece and helps people to get out of debt and things like that. Well, he has a leadership podcast. Um, It's called Entree Leader, if you want to check that out sometime. And I always listen to Entree Leader when I'm working out at the gym. I was listening to it the other day. And the, 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 the guy that he was interviewing was a rabbi, and he was talking to this guy uh, about being thankful. And he said something that just stuck with me, and it just hit me. It's so profound. He said, what we need to do as people is we need to take the practical steps of finding five people every day to thank them sincerely. 
Wow. Right? What are you talking about? Unpack this a little bit more, Pastor Derek. Don't worry. I will. It's all good. He said that if we will take the time to sincerely thank five people, so if it's your server at the restaurant that you go eat at, and they just did a great job, you sincerely thank them. You thank them well with a tip. You thank them uh, uh, both personally and tell them they did such a good job. There have been times where I've been to certain restaurants where people thought ahead. They saw I had three children, and they helped always keep their drinks filled and gave them things to do, gave them some crayons, and, and, and just helped make the experience more enjoyable. And I was like, wow, you went above and beyond to really just make sure my kids you know, were, were, had, had a good time and, and that, that wasn't an issue. Thank you so much. I've even gone as far as to ask to talk to their manager before. Just to tell the manager in front of the employee that this is a valuable employee. You see, when we take the time to sincerely thank people, what it does is it makes us optimistic about our life. It makes us optimistic about what's going on because all of a sudden, instead of us being negative, instead of us always looking at what's owed us or what we're entitled to, making it all about us, we begin to appreciate other people for the gift that they are. And when we begin to thank people and appreciate people for who they are, it begins to raise my level of optimism of what can be. So instead of me always looking at the negative things that would limit me in life, that would keep me bound, that would keep me hindered, I'm looking ahead because I'm seeing the good in people that God is using to minister to me, to serve me, and I want to use that to give it back and to serve others. And when I do that, it changes my outlook. It changes my perspective. But for me to do that... I need to have a foundation of love because love is going to be thankful because it recognizes the gifts that are from God and it thanks Him for them. It says, God, thank you so much for blessing me with my spouse and sincerely thank your spouse. Sincerely thank the person at the restaurant. Sincerely thank your boss for giving you a job. Sincerely thank uh, your, your friend for always being there. If you do that every day, you're going to begin to create an expectation and a heart of thankfulness. And let me tell you, all kind of serving other people and selflessness will come out of a thankful heart. And what's that going to do? It's going to glorify God. But take someone who will be willing to humble instead of thinking higher of ourselves than we should. Instead of thinking about what I'm always owed. Always thinking about how people should treat me and how wonderful I am and how great. And if they really knew who I was, well, <laughs> I mean... Just being grateful, being thankful. You see, if we do that within the context of our church body, if we become thankful for one another, hey, thanks for taking time out the other day to talk to me. Thanks for caring about me enough to call me. Th thanks for being there for me during this time. Thanks for doing this. Man, I really appreciate you watching my child in the nursery so I could come and sit and not have to worry about my child because I know you're going to take excellent care of my child while I can sit in here and enjoy the, the service. Thank you so much. That means a lot that you do that. And that you take your time instead of you sitting in the service so I can. Thank you. Thank you for that. When we become thankful like that, it changes our outlook. Amen? Amen. Instead of us always looking at what somebody should be doing for us, we're looking at what we can do for others. Let's keep on reading. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to do His will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. I highlight that for my children. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ 
that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. You see, here's Paul encouraging the church not to be complaining over the things that don't have bearing on anyone's salvation because it's not our job to make other people think like us. It's our job to preach and live the gospel. Amen? Amen. If we focus on the gospel and we focus on growing in the love of God, then the little things that the enemy would love to allow to sow discord among the church and divide the church, those little things will take care of themselves if we will allow ourselves to be navigated by love. Amen? Amen? If we will allow our foundation truly to be love. Let's see what Paul says here as he's wrapping things up. We're finishing up here this morning as well. Verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So Paul's hoping he's going to get released soon here. Verse 25, yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, we're going to go with that, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because, he had heard that he, because um, you had heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may, be, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his own life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Man, when I read that, I hear Paul, he's sending two different guys to the Philippians while he's still in prison. And one of these guys got really sick, and he almost died because of the work of Christ. This guy apparently did something that caused him to be sick, but he did it for the work of Christ. And then when he got better, what did he immediately want to go do? Jump right back in. Hey, Paul, what can I do? Where can I go? Why? Because love is his motive. Because love is navigating. Same thing that we see in our military. When someone is engaged in a conflict and you see someone come back from Iraq or Afghanistan and, and, and they've had some type of traumatic event, maybe uh, they uh, received a wound, maybe they lost a limb. When you hear the stories of these guys, you think, man, I bet you're glad to be back over here stateside. They're like, yeah, but I can't wait to go back and be with my brothers again. You hear that over and over again. Why? Because the purpose and the love that they have for one another outweighs their own individual comfort. Same thing that Paul is saying about his friend here who was sick, who almost died because of Christ, okay? But when he got better, what did he want to do? Send me. I want to go. He said, you need to hold these people in high esteem. He said, because this guy, he came close to death, but he didn't even regard his own life because he wanted to supply what was lacking in service because I couldn't get there, and he knew I couldn't get there. So as soon as he got better, he wanted to go because his love and his purpose outweighed his own comfort. It outweighed his own comfort. You see, and, 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 and I think that what this shows us is that unity in our purpose is going to keep us focused forward. Because nothing can stop a church that's unified in purpose. Nothing can stop a church that's unified in sharing the gospel, growing disciples, accomplishing goals together. Only through unity and striving to keep that unity at all costs will we be able to accomplish what God has given us. 
God has given us a lot of goals this year. We went through, at the end of January, our goal document. And we have some of those available at guest services if you missed that service and you didn't get one of those. I want you to get one of those in your hand. We put out goals and things that we want to achieve. But the only way that stuff's going to happen is if we all do it together. Amen? Amen. We talked about a lot of things in our announcements. We've got a lot of things going on. We've got explosion. Uh, man, that's going to be a lot of work. We've got another Easter service that we're going to add on just for Easter. It's going to be a lot of work. We've got a momentum project uh, that we're rolling out, that we're wanting to make some improvements to our facility. All these things are for the purpose of the gospel, for the purpose of being good stewards of what God has given us, for the purpose of us moving the message of the gospel forward to help growing disciples. All the things that we're doing are only going to be accomplished when we are together, when we decide that we're going to be a part of the purpose that God has called us to. Because here's the thing, you never know what God is going to use as a divine appointment that could radically change someone's life. You never know. We think that sometimes the, the simple things don't matter, but often it's the simple things that God uses to really go miles and miles with people. It's really interesting. As a pastor, I get to be a part of people's lives in different areas, you know, that um, maybe not your average person wouldn't get to be a part of. And I have found that it's always the little things that matter the most with people. Yeah, people appreciate it when you're there for the big stuff. That matters, but it's always the little things. It's the little things that, you know, I'm glad you thought of me. Thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for being there when this happened. Thank you for being there during this time where we were struggling or where we were going through a hardship or we were heavy in our hearts. It's always the little things. And church, that's what we all need to be about doing. Amen? Amen. Whether we have pastor in front of our name or not, it doesn't matter. If we're a family, we care for one another, and that's what we want to be here at Word of Grace. We don't want to be family by name only. We want it to be felt in the very atmosphere of this church. That you feel like you belong, that you feel like you matter, that you feel like I, I, I'm significant, and not only am I here to receive, but I'm here to give as well. So how can I serve someone else? How can I be there for someone else like someone will be there for me? I'll close with this. When we had our men's ministry yesterday... Our group, the group I was in, made up of about seven guys or so, um, we began to talk, and one guy said one thing that led to another, that led to another, and so we were all kind of unpacking this one thought and this one idea, and the destination that we finally arrived to when everyone kind of had their aha moment was when one, one guy said that, you know, I, I, I think that all of us have things that we're wounded in in our lives, all of us have issues in our lives that we want help with. And oftentimes what we do is that we'll stay over in the back corner and we'll just kind of bleed out, hoping someone notices. And we just hope someone sees that I'm wounded. We hope someone sees that I'm hurting. And we're just kind of going, I hope you see me because I'm really hurting right now. And what we arrived to yesterday is that instead of taking the position of hoping other people see me, and they come to my rescue and they come and minister to me and give me what I'm really crying out for and what I'm really needing as I'm bleeding out in the corner... They said, why don't we instead pick ourselves up and go give to other people? Because what you'll find is that instead of wallowing in your own hurt, in your own pain, when you step up and say, no, I'm not going to allow this to overcome me, but I'm going to actually go and give to other people, the very thing that I'm looking for, God often comes right back and ministers to you. Amen. That when I go, you know what? Instead of me hoping that someone helps me walk through this, you know what, I'm going to help somebody else walk through something in their life. 
And I'm going to pick myself up. Even though the enemy would love to make you feel like you're inadequate. That's probably his number one attack on keeping the body of Christ just sitting in the chair week after week instead of getting up and doing the stuff. As that he wants to make us feel inadequate because of our sin, because of our struggles, because of whatever deficiency we have or whatever inadequacy we may feel. He makes us feel like we're failures, we're no good and we're junk. And so we just sit there and wait until the day that we feel good enough. Well, let me tell you something, folks. You and I are never going to be good enough on our own. It's Jesus who makes us right with God. And he's the one who has forgiven us, reconciled us, made us right with God. And that is enough to enable you to pick yourself up and go give that same love you've received to someone else. That's all you got to have. You don't have to have Bible school. You don't have to have doctor in front of your name or pastor in front of your name. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have received the love of God, you've received the forgiveness of God, guess what? You can give that same love and that same forgiveness to other people. That same ministry that you've received from Him, you can give out to others. That automatically qualifies you to go put your arm around someone and tell them that God loves them and that you're here praying for them and how can you help them. Not that you're there trying to fix their life. Not that you're there trying to tell them exactly what to do, but at least they know somebody cares about them. Amen? Amen. That's all we want. is just to know that we're cared about. Know that someone's thinking of us, praying for us. That someone would be willing to help us in our time of need. And God wants us to do that together in unity. When we move together with that kind of focus, with that kind of purpose, with love being our foundation, it changes everything. And the gospel is spread. People grow as disciples. All of those things happen because the church decided they're going to be about the business of God and let love be their foundation and be guided in unity together. Amen? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit WOGCC dot com.